You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back to Golden State of Mind. I'm Daniel. Today I've got Bram and W Dubs. Two Hall Hello. of Famers in the, uh, the, the the blog world, and of course the Golden State of Mind community. Bram, how are you doing? Good, sir. I'm good, man. Thank you for having me on again. It's been too long. The master has returned, and of course, Dubby Dub Dubs. How are you doing, Captain? I'm good. Uh, happy to take a break from writing previews about uh, how we're probably going to lose. You know, you turned to an art form. What's that? You turned to an art form. You know. Uh, I'm a, I'm a veteran of those now, um, because, you know, I, and it's funny that Bram's on now because the way that I actually got started writing for Golden State of Mind is when Nate took over and he bought Bram on, Bram would write these really hilarious, like super brilliant, sort of like free form society of basketball sort of critiques. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, they're plugging him in to write these like dry ass, like recaps and previews and i was like let me free <laughs> let me free you up to write about things that are a little more engaging for you so it's funny now that i my i've sort of settled into this like preview machine and i've settled into not not writing at all <laughs> no, you sorry nate i'm really sorry nate <laughs> well i think that's kind of the, the theme of this warrior season in terms of uh the uh, mundane uh, day-to-day, game-to-game kind of aspects of it, because the heavy hitters, for the most part, are out. Um, I think is fascinating. After five straight trips in the NBA Finals, and you know, seven straight playoff trips, that uh, we're kind of temporarily, hopefully, uh, going back to the days of it's a great timeout with the, the Thunder mascot, and you know, all those really rough games where you know we were tuning in, not even necessarily to see if we can get a win, but just to see that we could play some decent basketball. Um, Debbie Dub Dubs, with all the previews you've been writing, um, what is your uh, your expectations before each game going into each one? Hella low. Hella low. <laughs> um, you know, the these games, man, it's like our teams are just so outgunned, you mm-hmm. know? So uh, it, it sort of takes a perfect storm of circumstances you know, and it, I, I do think that they're going to start turning the corner, but I'm not sure what the ceiling is without our shooters. Right. You know, D'Angelo Russell's pretty nice, but the problem has been, uh, you know, not to oversimplify, but the problem has been everything. <laughs> our offense is really bad. <laughs> our defense is really bad. And we don't have enough healthy players. We've been playing with eight players, like the league mandatory minimum number of double players for like two weeks straight. So that's turning around, though. The defense is getting a little bit better. It's still abysmally bad, but it's not the very, very worst in the league. You know, it's a very thin margin, but it's a baby step. And uh, the roster's coming back, man. We had, what, like 11 players tonight. Yeah, we did. Which is almost kind of funny. Squad. You're, like, talking about the team as if you're a doctor um, giving a prognosis to a, an anxious parent about their kid who um, swallowed 
some uh, super glue. And you're like, well, you know, uh, <laughs> he's blind in one, in one eye now, um, but he can still move around a little bit. Like it, it's amazing how we, we went from super team to um, depression. Um, but it's funny because I remember it was uh, in the finals last year, Bram came on the pod, the Dr. T- uh, Tom and Goldberg King pod. And he said, wow, I kind of missed the days when there was more struggle to the team because winning all the time is so boring. Now, Bram, um, with the season we're having now, are you not entertained? Um, I don't know, man. I think that this the state of the Warriors has shifted so drastically so quickly that it's something that I think even me jokingly in the finals saying, oh, I, I miss those Halicon days of of the struggle and, you know, like the sold out crowds and Oracle and, you know, I mean, not that it wasn't sold out obviously when they were winning too, but um, I I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a team so decimated by both departure of key players and then also injury and to go from, you know, obviously a five time straight finals championship caliber team to, I don't even think it's potentially like just actually the worst team in the NBA. I don't think I, I can't remember that ever happening in my lifetime. Um, and I wouldn't say that I <laughs> appreciate it more. Uh, I definitely, you know, wish that um, I wish that the team was performing up to the caliber of like, you know, what the coaching staff can bring to the, to the table and, you know, obviously what, what Steve Kerr is able to coach and, you know, he's doing the best that he can with, you know, obviously a, a very limited um, offering of players who are available right now. And with Steph Hurt and Clay out for the season and Draymond in and out of the lineup and, you know, everyone just struggling. <laughs> but I, you know, I think the writing was on the wall from the get go and that like, you know, this team was with, especially with Clay out on the perimeter, they're, they were going to be the worst defensive team in the, in the league. Um, and I think that, I don't know, I, it's it's hard to, uh, you know, those, those teams with Monte Ellis and then the, the magic that was, we believe, you know, there was a certain sort of sense of that we had earned it just by having suffered through so much. And I guess you could say that now we've earned being this horrible because we have experienced such highs but again, like the, I guess the closest thing would be like when all the, you know, when LeBron and, and eventually Wade and Bosch and all those guys left Miami and they, they were really bad for a couple of years. Um, right. And I think that like, that's sort of what you're saying. And, you know, or I guess also uh, when David Robinson got hurt and the Spurs ended up, you know, tanking, getting the number one pick mm-hmm. with, with Duncan, you know I mean? And so that's the, that's the best case scenario, but I just, I don't know if there's that like transcendent player in this draft that would make it worth it to totally tank. And also the Warriors are definitely not trying to tank yet. And they're still the worst team in the NBA. So um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's a convoluted way to answer your question, but it's definitely also not, you know, it's not something that I'm enjoying watching or partaking in because it's, I mean, it's basically like watching a, a, a G league team playing against world-class talent and right. like, what, why, why, why would it, you know, it, it, you don't have that like, like spunky upstart fun, weird. I mean, you do to a certain extent, but it's, it's just not, 
I don't know. It's so much easier to talk yourself into failure when you've experienced it for 30 years. And then if you've experienced success, then to be like, <laughs> oh, well, failure was fun. And so, you know, I'm, I'm the fucking idiot that like said that in the first place. But, you know, here we are. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing, the other thing, too, is that uh, a lot of the, you know, during those those Monte days, there was a sort of homegrown sense. You know, the We Believe team was a lot of traded people. But it was still like a, a sort of project that we had been working on. <clears throat> With this team, there's a lot of temporary pieces. And I think that maybe that that slows people down from like emotionally investing because outside of guys like Pascal or Pascal and uh, Amari Spellman, you, you know, there's, there's just not a lot of pieces that are necessarily uh, like foundational. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that that's, that's something that uh, we're going to really see what happens with Bob Meyer and everything is that like, you know, that this isn't the team, you know, so it's, it's just like a purely mm-hmm. transitional year, which right. even in the, we believe in the, and the, in the buildup to that, like, it was still like, oh, Jason Richardson, like, I love this dude, like him winning the dunk, the dunk championship was huge, you know, and it's like, oh, he's going to be yeah. a part of whatever happens in the future. And then like, as that actually came <laughs> to fruition, it came true and then was suddenly not true um obviously but like there was that sense of like oh we're working towards something and like you know you're giving your fans some hope we're like this season for the warriors is like i guess they're working towards the number one pick ideally which is cool but like how many of these people are going to be on the team next year and when you get steph back and you get clay back and draymond is healthy again ideally and then whatever the draft pick is and you know you flip that for i saw some headline that was like it was one of those like crazy clickbait headlines but of course i clicked on it because i was like "Ooh, that would be fun but it was like you know warriors with number one pick will select Lamelo ball and flip him for Giannis and Tetsukupo. and i was like oh yeah hell yeah let's do that it's <laughs> <laughs> just like oh man whoever wrote that article is great um you know but that i mean i guess there's a there's a certain joy that you can find in like coming up with just like crazy harebrained schemes that you know, you can like superimpose your own fandom onto, you know, the potential future reality of whatever the team is going to do. But I mean, the reality is like, it's, it's hard for me to start caring about a lot of these players because I just don't think they're going to be on the team for that long outside of like the general, like, Oh, I care about every player that's in the, in, in the NBA. And like, I'm curious where they came from and where they're going and like, Oh, interesting. He was on that team and you're called up from here and whatever, but it's not, um, I don't know that I haven't emotionally connected to any of the players in the same way that I did to, you know, for example, Monte or Jason Richardson or any of those players who were like a part of the team when they sucked the last time. Well, I mean, they've only been here for like two months, you know, I mean, maybe that has something to do with it. They're really like all fresh faces for the most part. I think that's, as you kind of stated when we were off the um, air, you were kind of saying that you look at the TV sometimes you're like, who's that guy? Like what's going on? And, yeah, and like I follow basketball, like, and I like, and, and again, like that's an indictment on me and the fact that I'm not as plugged in as I was previously. But like, I literally sometimes I'm like, where the, where did, who, like, what, wait, hold up, like, you know, like, like Wikipedia guy, and I'm like, this is on the team that I follow, and I'm still, and especially at the beginning of the year, obviously, like in the in the very beginning, it's um, I don't know, and and that obviously is a uh, uh a unique experience that I have not that I don't think any of us have really had to think about or deal with for the last you know 
five years. It was like, oh, here's the starting lineup. And it's the potentially like arguably the best starting lineup of all time. (laughs) And then less than, you know, what, three or four months later, it's like a G League team. And it's, and that is, is unique that that, I think that that, that like um, severity of a flip has, again, like has not quite, I've never seen it before, like I said before. Yeah, totally. totally. So, I, I can do that for sure. I mean, I mean, literally, what, four, five months ago, we were in the finals, like, maybe about to win a championship, if not for all the injuries. Like, so, yeah, totally. I also think it's, it's fascinating the level of um, celebration we're seeing some other teams when they beat us, um, notably the Lakers. I think when they beat some preseason, their Twitter was like, consider this a warning NBA or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> of course... The, the Clippers, you know, uh, know the Patrick well, I, Beverly, I think, being excited about it. I think I was actually at that game, the one that you're talking about with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. That was like the I, I randomly was in the Bay Area, like we're talking about off air, but I was in the Bay Area um, and went to that preseason game, and they did tweet that, but it also was a warning because they looked really good, and that has like that has borne out. I mean, they do still look really good, and that was the first time that we really saw AD and LeBron like really. Um, coordinating their efforts and really going in, and I mean, again, whoever's running the Lakers PR, like that's not a shot, like a shot, because that I mean, they weren't wrong. Like they, I mean, I don't think it was so much like against the oh, we beat the Warriors in the preseason, even though again, like Steph was in that game, et cetera, et cetera. But I think they weren't wrong in saying that, you know, as good as we thought AD and LeBron were going to be together, they've maybe been even better. You know, I mean, I guess I don't get too excited over the regular season because we've had too many championships. So maybe you're right. If you <laughs> care about the regular season, maybe that's the way to go. For me personally, being a championship-minded person, it's <laughs> in a preseason warning seems a bit presumptuous. But that's just me. You know, that's my, my I mean, you're not, man. Don't make me. Oh man, you're gonna make me defend the Lakers, which I really hate because <laughs> I. I mean, I I can't state enough how much I hate the Lakers, but. If you're going to go on like the count the rings thing, that's like what every Lakers fan does. Which is why and they I'm have more surprised rings that they would be excited about a preseason win. That's why I'm shocked, personally. Because they've been so bad for so long. Oh, you know? okay. Well, <laughs> that would make excuses though we're doing. There was somebody in the comments after one of the articles where it was like, you know, we were all piling on like, woohoo, you beat Kai Bowman's Warriors. Great job. And somebody from the other team like popped in and was like, hey, I remember Steph like shimmy shouldering all over, you know, the like 12 win Washington Wizards. And it's like, okay, that's, that's fair. So I, I personally, I think in the, in the NBA, yeah. In the NBA, a win over any team is a win and it's something to be celebrated because these are the best athletes in the world. And, you know, unfortunately the, the Warriors have been running out of team that is like obviously inferior to every other team in the league pretty much you know so far this season there's definitely a couple rosters where i I like look at it and i'm like well we got a chance tonight like portland (laughs) uh yeah like you know i was thinking about the the bulls listen if we if if you want to go in on mellow like i am ready (laughs) (laughs) get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of tom brady a Netflix live event happening May 5th, 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. But let's talk about how I think in... In this, in this, this is a strange season. I'll say that much in that, like the Warriors went from the best team in the league to the worst team in the league in one fell swoop and Katie's out. Kyrie is off doing weird ass Kyrie stuff. Um, You know, the Lakers are suddenly good. The Clippers are obviously suddenly good. And I think that we just have a lot of elements in the league. I mean, it's, excuse me. It's exciting in the sense of, um, I think the last five years, you know, if you were a Warriors hater, you could easily point to it and be like, well, I kind of know the outcome. You know, the Warriors and probably the Cavaliers are going to be in the finals, and that's just what it is. That's not what the Rockets thought, um, but please go on. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely wasn't what they were thinking in Houston, but please go on. Oh, man, the Rockets. All right, slight, slight detour. Man, the Rockets. Um, you guys, obviously, I'm sure it's been covered substantially, but you saw that they actually thought that the NBA might award them that game. They didn't think, Bram. They presumed that it was so clear that they were going to, that they weren't prepared to actually even file a grievance yet. They were just going to wait <laughs> for the league to step in and, and tell them that. They thought the league would just step in of their own accord and just yeah. give them the game. Because in which, in which Harden and, and Westbrook combined to shoot like something like 60 shots or something altogether. And they also lost a 20-point lead over the last quarter or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. Um, well, had the worst shooting night uh, in NBA history. I think it was 11 for 38, uh, 4 for 20 from beyond the arc. I think that is literally the worst shooting night in NBA history. But he still scored his points. I I would I would do we do any political stuff on here or no? He's purely basketball. Wait, political stuff in James Harden? Where is this going? I'm very I interested. think we should do it, Bram. <laughs> the Rockets are more delusional than the GOP. Currently. Oh wow. Wow. We're going there with it. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. I okay. I could buy that though, because they don't just ignore facts and like invent their own reality. They've got like spreadsheets and stuff. It's like the yeah, and they make signs and they put it up in hearings. They place the signs behind their their operatives, and they say, "Oh no, James Harden actually should have been the MVP. <laughs> the Giannis Antetokounmpo MVP was fake news. Oh no, we actually should have won this game. Let us go back to seven twenty left in the fourth quarter in this dunk. That yes, you missed. Okay, cool. There's one thing that you can point to that was actually messed up by the refs. Cool. Congratulations. That doesn't mean that we're going to award you the game. Like, there's something off. There's really something wrong with the Rockets. And I said this in our Slack, but like, they, I I just don't understand how that team thinks that they're operating in this. And maybe it's because they have this crazy inflated. Um, sort of impression of themselves and like how smart they are, but they, that they're operating in a, in a way which sort of like constantly negates the efforts of the other teams in the league and also constantly elevates their own efforts to be like, Oh, well, this is obviously the way that things should be done. And because of that, then they're like, Oh, well, because you missed this one call, like you should obviously 
award us the game. Like that's just not going to happen. And I don't understand how they have the, the gall and the intestinal fortitude to even think that that would be acceptable or, or a, a possibility. There, um, there's someone high up. I, I would assume it's Maury, but someone in a very power position that is super delusional about, um, you know, the, the line between data and assumptions used in a model. And I think that what their problem is, is that they put all these assumptions in and treat the model output like it's data. You know, in other words, right. <clears throat> remember they had the whole thing about, oh, we lost this many potential points in the against yeah. the Warriors in the playoffs. You know, like, so I do uh, in my, my day life, I do uh, like a data analysis job, like data auditing for uh, um, emissions and power. And one of the one of the things that we always recommend to clients that we consult for is to have someone, an outsider of the process, come in and do a sense check. Or all of, do all of your assumptions make sense? Or all of the all the sources of the math that you're applying, the ones that you're supposed to be using. And I don't think the rockets have that at all. I think they just have some guy who's like, hey, check out this really neat thing. And then they have some 20 20 year old, like, yes, kid. who's like, you know, Mr. Mori, if I change this coefficient to this number, it, <laughs> and, you know, it decreases our inaccuracy spread by 4%. And he's like, run it. And no one's <laughs> like, hey, guys, this is all made up stuff. Right. And meanwhile, it's like in the real world, people are just shaking their head and, and trying to understand how they could have gotten to the table with that demand. You know? Yeah, well, and you know what else it is too, though, Bram, is that, you know, they they sort of fool gold, fools golded themselves into thinking they had figured stuff out. Remember, they had this whole like, no, uh, only layups and three pointers, right. and so that's our model, and we're going to get these versatile wing defender guys to slow the Warriors down, and like James Harden is really good at scoring points, and those those wing defenders were pretty good at stopping the Warriors' pass heavy attack. And, I, you know, I think they were like, wow, we figured it out versus like it's kind of like the light years thing where it's like, are you really light years ahead or are your players just hella good? Yeah, and I don't think that like that sense of hubris is unique to the Rockets because obviously Joe Lacob has shown <laughs> extreme versions of not understanding the room and not being able to just be a normal human being and interact in a way that like makes normal human beings comfortable. <laughs> but at the same time, hot takes tonight. Oh, come on. I mean, he said, Oh, come on. I mean, light years, like go back to the light years quote. That's, that's an incredible take. It's super asinine. It really is. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like if you were me as a Warriors fan and writing about the team at that time and currently as well, was like, whoa, dude, <laughs> listen, I know you have access to billions of dollars right now in VC and you have a hot, you know, like your, your life is great and you own a team, but just, just, just maybe like crowdsource that take, you know, <laughs> like send that out into the world and don't say that out. Don't say that outside of like your pleasure den in your third home, you know, where you like, what was wrong? I mean, Who's the greatest um, 
modern team in terms of stringing up wins together, the Golden State Warriors. Who has the greatest five-man lineup of all time? Probably the Hamptons Five, Golden State Warriors. I mean, yeah. didn't Steph Curry literally change the game of basketball? Like, literally? Curry, yeah, but that's the thing, though. Curry did. It was not the Warriors' philosophy that did that. Wow. It's really? very Well, it's like the Mark Jackson, like, oh, you know, before Mark Jackson, the defense sucked. And it's like, dude, we got Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, and Andrew Bogut. Fuck out of here with your philosophy talk. Like, that's what made Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, you're telling me that Steve Kerr instituting this offense with this player that literally shattered all records for offensive efficiency is not light years ahead and it was all Curry? Because I'm pretty sure Curry was playing with the Warriors before Steve Kerr and was not shattering those records. It, it is light years, but, like, dude, like, read the, all I'm saying is, like, read the room. Like, you might not be wrong. Like what's what's the what's that line from the Great Lebowski? Like you're, you're not asshole. wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Like just just keep it to yourself, man. You know, like like Daniel, you're making like amazing videos. You're not like calling me at three in the morning and like like you know telling me to go watch them or something. You know what I mean? I like just feel like maybe we're too broke to understand where Joe Lacob came from, and that's you know a possibility. You know, he's he's a, a different planet than us, possibly. You know, as far as what he's accomplished and you know maybe us and on I, the couch don't know what his mindset was and you know i don't know the guy personally but i appreciate him for bringing the 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 dynasty you know to, to life i i appreciate i appreciate the heck out so of him as well obviously right i mean this hey, is not- whatever you gotta call it keep rolling in joe lacob yeah, no, he's doing great. I, I'm just, I'm just saying that like maybe the billionaire owners who run these teams are not really great at like connecting with normal fans. That's my only point. Normal fan, and I think that <laughs> just a, any or <laughs> anybody who's not an owner. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but again, like I don't, you know, I'm not trying to disparage Joe Lacob. <laughs> What's that? Grab and W Dubs represent the normal fans. <laughs> oh no, we yeah. I mean, do you think that I don't know? I mean, I'm I'm not I I do not have my finger on the pulse as much as I used to. Like, do you think that like if I mean if you were a Rockets fan and you're looking at Joe Lacob saying those things, like would you disparage him as much as we disparage uh, you know, the Rockets sort of executive brain brain branch or whatever, yeah, like it's just being as crazy there as there are. Not, again, I'm not trying to equate them. I'm, I mean, I guess I am to a certain extent, but it's like, it's like, how did we get from me talking shit about the Rockets to like somehow like me trying to like say that all billionaires who own teams are a little bit off? I don't know. It definitely seems like a little extra grind, you know, but I can dig yeah. this American free country. Um, personally, I feel as though it's kind of in the nature of sports fandom and Obviously, mm-hmm. the political arena as well, where you pick your team and then the other team is, you know, dumb or stupid or prideful or evil. It's kind of like consistent, you know, throughout tribal societies. So I can definitely understand why someone from the Rockets might be like, oh, I cannot believe he said that. But Daryl Morey's a genius. Like, of course, of course they would say that. So I kind of think it may be like the relevancy of it is kind of eradicated because it's so natural and so normal. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure the people... Um, who were getting crushed by the Warriors probably didn't like Steph Shimming, but I like Steph Shimming. So is Steph Shimming good or bad? Well, I guess it depends where you're looking at it from. Um, so I think right. Well, that was that was how this all started, right? Was talking about the, the joy that teams are taking by just beating the hell out of Kai Bowman's Warriors. How much joy? 
so much joy. And it's like as as a as a fan of of basketball, like I can't get that mad at it. You know, like sure, you're not you're not beating our best selves, but that's that's a legitimate victory, and it wasn't that close. So like, go ahead and and enjoy it. And that's the beauty of fandom because you can feel how you want to feel, and I can feel murderous rage because the dynasty is crumbling before my very eyes, and <laughs> the very foes that we used to crush game after game now are laughing in our faces with our heroes in the crowd stasis, injured, you know, in carbonite freeze. Personally, I cannot wait until the platform come back. I mean, I'm also heavy into narrative and stuff like that, but I think that that's yeah. really random. Like from the the different pendulums, the way, way it swings. I personally am keeping track. Literally, I have a list, and I might be a bit neurotic. I can see that. I have a list of everyone who was talking mess about the Warriors during the downtime. Because when Steph and Clay come back, trust me, there will be a special video. There will be a special video. This is, this is why him and uh, this is why him and Tom get along so well. They've got this sort of like sociopathic tendency of <laughs> just rubbing the haters. Rubbing the haters maybe is not the way to make well, them mad. Well, it's probably not the great thing. <laughs> uh, rubbing the haters' noses into the smelly pile of our impending victims. Uh, but getting back to um, you know the team we have now, who do you see and say, hey, this guy's going to be a part of the future going forward? I think whoever we get in a trade for D'Angelo Russell is going to be a part of the team going forward. And that's like maybe it. Hmm. Ooh. See, I'm taking Eric Pascal. I think the the one thing that the Warriors have struggled with, and this is only going to get worse with everybody aging, is our ability to compete with teams from a physicality standpoint. And Bram, I don't know if you've played ball, but you've certainly watched enough of it. And I know that uh, Daniel does for sure. There's just there's times where the other team is just so much physically better. It doesn't matter how how good you are at shooting the ball. You can't get the rebounds. You can't get where you want to go. And I think that uh, Pascal has the the potential to be the sort of like bruising wing. Right. You know, like, almost like a Corey Maggette mold where it's like, <clears throat> I don't even care how good this guy really is. It's like nobody can really stop him without fouling him. And I think that that is going to be a role moving forward that the Warriors are really going to want. And it doesn't hurt that he is super, super cheap. Super, super cheap. Yeah. The other one I wouldn't mind keeping would be Burks. I would love to keep Burks to come off the bench on another minimum contract somehow. Oh, dude, Burks, if we had him in the finals last year, we'd probably win the thing. Like, that dude is dude. a perfect role player for us. Yeah. All the criticisms on him are, uh, like, right now, you're you're talking about, and this goes for the whole team, you're talking about these guys like they're starters. You know, this, this entire roster, except for Draymond and D'Angelo Russell, are not NBA starter-level players. So it's going to look way different with them coming in off the bench where Steve Kerr can sort of pick and choose. You know, he can attack matchups or avoid certain matchups with certain guys and, like, work with combos and stuff. Uh, I, you know, my my understanding of who's going to be helpful in the future is sort of reliant on them having a reduced role that makes their impact a little easier on the play. 
How much do you think that um, like Steve Kerr appreciates this challenge in a coach in a purely purely like in a bubble coaching situation as opposed to having to deal with Katie's bullshit for the last four years? <laughs> I mean, personally, I think he's kind of refreshed. I think, uh, but. Maybe that's just me as a fan too, because I feel a little bit refreshed. It's it's a it's a shitty experience to watch the team struggle so much, but it's a clean slate now, man. There's not this sort of not dread necessarily, but uh, like a sort of mundane feeling as we go into these meaningless games. Now the games are just as meaningless, you know. Now we're playing for the, the worst seed instead of the best record, but <laughs> it's still a thing that's like you could just tell by the composition of the team that we have this sort of inertia that's going to get us there one way or another. And I think that for for Kerr, just being able to like try something different and like have new challenges is probably a little bit refreshing. I mean, I would think that it would be something like if you had – What's the analogy that I can use that's like in any way PC? All right, I'm going to pivot, actually. How deeply is Dr. Tom still sad about the fact that KD actually turned out to 100%. not be the player he thought he was going to be and stick around? thousand percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's probably the, the real conundrum about this kind of topic is because Kevin Durant did so much to help this franchise as the franchise did so much to help Kevin Durant. I mean, he was the two-time Finals MVP, and he was a monster on the court. Mm-hmm. Additionally, his charity work in the Bay Area was phenomenal, top-notch. Um, and the players liked him. The players loved him. Mm-hmm. Like, Well, he's so good. The, 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 the reason like a- Draymond was screaming at him was because he loves Kevin Durant and was frustrated with him as a brother would. Like... That's the reason they got a, a huge fight. Like Steph flew all the way from China to go talk to him, even though he had made the decision to leave to Brooklyn. Like Clay Thompson, when he talks about KD, he glows. Like these guys really yeah. enjoyed Kevin Durant, the person. Well, he's an all-time top 10, 5, no, 10 no, no, player. I mean, he's a, yeah. I, I'm saying as a person, though. I, I'm saying that oh, they, yeah. they weren't yeah. flocking to him because he, he can get them championships. I mean, it had a part to it, but they actually cared about him. So what I'm saying is, the the drama level that came with Kevin Durant, even though it was frustrating, I'm sure they weren't like, "Oh, thank goodness Kevin's gone." They were probably more like, <laughs> "No, you know, I, no." I, I think everybody would jump to have KD back. You know what I'm saying? So, but I do think that in but terms no, of my huh? question, what's that? Well, no, my my question is like, it's not so much that, and I'm you know, I feel like sometimes in the Dr. Tom versus Bram chronicles, like I get painted as like a KD hater, but I'm more just like curious. Because I'm actually, I mean, I think some of the, you know, for example, like the podcasts he did with with Bill Seven, Simmons, like were some of the most interesting, in-depth podcasts I've ever heard from an NBA player. And, and it's rare that you ever hear somebody opening themselves up like that, especially in this day and age. And he really is one of the few athletes who is obviously willing to not only open up to an interviewer in a real way, but then also, you know, for better or for worse, like engage with fans online. Like you just don't see that sort of unfettered um, relationship between athletes and, and consumers, you know, consumers of their product in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And obviously he has 
hurt himself to a certain extent in the sort of general view of like a joining the warriors and being perceived as a snake and then b uh allowing himself to get emotional over you know meaningless twitter beefs and then you know creating a burner and whatever different things that i'm sure a lot of people do but like just getting caught at it mm-hmm. and then see like you know joining to or leaving to you know to join Kyrie, which a lot of people see as like a kind of a demonstrably similar personality and uh, persona in this in this you know sort of public space, which is the NBA on an on an international level at this point. Which like Kyrie is posting things on Instagram, which you read them and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is like what? Oh, whoa. You know, the whole thing that popped up with him not being in, you know, in Boston and et cetera, et cetera. And I guess um, I'm just surprised that I'm, I'm I, I guess I'm not I'm, I'm surprised that they decided to team up together um, because they it seems like it's a um, heartache and waiting. But I'm also very curious to see what the Nets look like next year you know halfway through the right. season like as they start putting it together i mean I, that's gonna be a great team and I, I very much look forward to that both from a basketball standpoint and both from a like how the hell is this gonna work right. um it's gonna get and, messy. i mean it's gonna get messy but i think also like the thing about that with him on the warriors is that it you know steph was that unifying figure at least or at least at the beginning where it like kind of made it all made sense and then you know, him and Draymond were bumping heads and doing whatever. But <laughs> again, again, like it's crazy now that we're, you know, the headlines are all like, Oh, Eric Pascal is a savior. And it's like, <laughs> yo, we had Draymond clay Steph, and KD on the same team like a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, now we're looking for the shiniest penny. Well, I mean, they're still, you know, yeah. they're all gone. <laughs> No, but I mean, you know, people are hurt. <laughs> Pretty much all gone. I mean, everybody's hurt. I mean, again, that's that's my – I guess my point is that things change so quick. And I, I think that we've seen that evidenced in the NBA, not just with the Warriors, but throughout, um, especially this year, which is what makes it so exciting. And, you know, as evidenced also by, like, the rise of people like Luka Doncic and, and some of these new players that are coming onto the scene um, – who are just putting up numbers that we just wouldn't have thought were, were yeah. possible. And I think that at the end of the year, we're going to look back and, and, and really count this as one of the more interesting, you know, start to finish NBA seasons that we've ever had right. just by nature of the fact that like, we have no clue what's going to happen because you don't have that just obviously dominant team like the Warriors or you don't have, you know, Katie's mm-hmm. out. And I mean, it's you know. the LA teams, right? Like the Lakers and Clippers are pretty Clear tier above everybody else, in my opinion. Oh yeah, and I think the Clippers are a clear tier above the Lakers. Like, I think the yeah. Clippers are horrifying. Yeah. I agree, but I think at the same time too, like they're not, they have no experience together in the playoffs, you know. And I think that that like even when KD joined the Warriors, it was still that thing of like the Warriors were battle tested and they knew who they were. And they knew how to mm-hmm. succeed in her system because they'd already been through it. And both those LA teams are first year teams, you know? Yeah, so like, those yeah they're both took great. us to seven last year. Yeah, no, I mean, that team, well, yeah, all right. So, point taken. I mean, yeah. they lost that shy Gilchrist guy, but they got <laughs> George, uh, 
Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard instead. Like that's a good point. Yeah, that's a that's a squad. Yeah, no, that Kawhi is Leonard a squad that he can make a one year turnarounds. I mean, Kawhi went to the Raptors and game a championship by boom, by the bang, it's it. You know, so I wherever Kawhi goes, it is pretty scary. Yeah. Well, and are, are we going to talk about the the ratings at all? Sure. Well, because one one of the, one of the um, articles that you wrote today, uh, Daniel, was about um, the the Warriors getting bumped from the national TV schedule, and I sent you something on Slack that was like this sort of broader like look at all of the NBA ratings, like everything is down across the boards, and it's not just this year; it's part of a broader trend that may have been amplified a bit this year, but. Um, you know the the league in general has a developing viewership problem that I think is sort of been exacerbated by this like super. You know, Le- I don't like the term super team era, but you know when LeBron went to the Heat, it sort of put the league on notice that look, if you want to be serious about winning a ring, you need to sort of line up your soldiers on under one banner. You need to pick. A team and like try and bring top tier help in and that's how you win a championship uh and and that's sort of the new model but the problem is that it it sort of disassembles a lot of what makes the league intriguing you know we were talking earlier about how when the warriors were really crappy back then there was there was some investment you know it's well maybe monte can figure out how to dribble with his head up you know like <laughs> Maybe Mike Dunleavy isn't that bad. I don't know. Maybe he can figure it out. Maybe Anthony Randolph is going to turn I, into I'm something. Still, I'm still waiting but there for was that, a sort the of. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was wrong on so much. But there was a sort of buy-in there. But now uh, everyone floats around in free agency so much. There's there's these huge roster upheavals pretty much every offseason where the whole balance of the league shifts. And – I don't know that it's a bad thing, but I think that it makes um, people are sort of divesting their interest in the regular season because of all these factors, you know, and then you can go on Twitter, 10 minutes on Twitter, you can see all the highlights from all the games that you really care about. I think that's the driving factor, I think, because if you look at um, ratings across the board for most television shows, um, the NFL as well, um, baseball, um, across the board, there's been a, a, a ratings dip for some time now. And I think it's because most folks aren't going to watch cable. They're going to cut the cord and stream it somewhere else. And um, in today's you know time where there's so much to watch and, you know, we, we live in the, not only the entertainment era, but the, the social media era. Like if I can watch on Twitter, like you said, in 10 minutes, the entire game, why would I spend three hours doing it? Unless like there's something really special happening. Um, so I think, although I do think it's a part of it, the, the uh, player movement there, I mean, considering the fact that, I think I put in the article the the, the game seven for um, the, the 2016 finals had the highest ratings mark since the Jordan Bulls. Like it was insane. That was a, a couple years ago. I think when people don't have a real reason to sit down and watch the basketball game, why would they? I mean, you can literally watch the entire game in 10 minutes on your phone after it goes off. Like just as far as efficiency and like a life hack, why would you, you know, sit down mm-hmm. from the TV? I, mean, I think the times are changing. I mean, it, it almost reminds me of um, like when the iPod came out and people were like, oh my God, 
CD sales are falling. The music industry is like you know, in peril. And it was like, well, it's just well, it, transforming well, in a, a quick well, well, As, as, a, as a veteran of the music though. industry, they weren't wrong. The music industry is totally gone now. But not totally gone. I mean, it's, it's top it's, heavy. All right. It's top heavy. Cool. There's like a couple of people making money, but you know, record sales are gone. Spotify has replaced any sort of income generated to like those mid-tier talent or mid-tier, you know, touring bands or whatever. And the only way to actually make money is to tour. But I mean, that's just a reality of, of that one industry. But I, I think that something that I've thought about a lot um, are, you know, people's attention spans and, and their habits of consumption of, you know, sports, alcohol, you know, relationships, food, like everything has become so immediately accessible on your phone. Um, and, you know, like WW, you were talking about earlier where your, your alternate life is that you, you know, you do data, different things. And for me, one of my, one of the other things that I do in addition to having toured for years as a musician is that I also own a uh, hard cider company and we operate um, three different bars. And in the context of that, we've seen sort of that people want either an experience where they like want to come and and it's something special where it's like they're making a point to make a trip out of it. And it's like a special thing that they're doing or like what I've seen with a lot of other bars specifically. And this is also true with music and a bunch of different things, but that like people just don't, want to leave their house really you know because like if you want to order food or if you want to get you know beer or if you want to have a partner or whatever like you know tinder exists or like you know grubhub exists and like everything can be ordered in and netflix is like you know you don't have to watch anything at the minute that it comes out you know you don't have to like be sitting in front of your tv for game of thrones at 9 p.m on the dot which is like maybe the last thing that will ever exist in that specific capacity where it's like it's appointment viewing and so to that extent like people's um capacity for the intaking of like things that are commute communally sort of like shared between a bunch of different people is is becoming like much more dispersed where it's like nobody really cares about the same things anymore and so everybody is just sort of like going after like what their specific interest is which is like oh i want to order Chinese food and like scroll through Tinder for a while and like find somebody to come over and like sleep with me, you know? And that's like, all right, that was a great Tuesday night, (laughs) but it's not like, you know, and you're not, you're not like going out and doing, you know, you're not going to like a sort of communal meeting place, which traditionally would have been a bar would have been, you know, somebody, a sports bar, like go watch the Warriors game. You're all like watching it. And and it's some like random mid season game, you know? And now I think that like, Mm-hmm. People don't think that they need to partake in the minutia of like partaking in, in something that is actually boring, which is like it's boring to watch this Warriors team lose to how dare you eat on a <laughs> random Tuesday night. You know what I mean? Like and if, if you don't have the incentive of like, oh, I'm going to get laid because of this because I like went to some bar. So like you're like staying what home. What kind of Warriors bars do you have out there? Yeah, what kind of, what kind of bar is this? <laughs> sports bar? Google sports bar. You go to the sports bar. bars to get late? <laughs> Very low standards. Not, That's the trick. I'm just Whoa. saying in general, like people like going out and like wanting to be a part of sort of like 
uh, like having to interact with strangers and like being forced to like get outside of the comfort zone. Like people aren't forced to get outside of the comfort zone now. And because of that, their attention span is like significantly decreased because they don't have to then like go out and like try to chase after all these things that they're not used to chasing after, like be it yeah, or, or, or dealing. Yeah. Or whatever, dealing with, you know? or dealing right? with anybody else. Right. So I they're want- just like in their own little world and they're like, they're like, oh, well, I don't want to watch this game. And so they're, you know, they're streaming it anyways. And so they're like, oh, I'll just watch the, like, the Warriors are going to lose anyways. They're like, watch the, like, you know, five minute recap on, on YouTube. And then because of that, like, everybody just ends up in their own little tiny universe. And then we all end up alone and dead at the end of the universe with nothing to show for it. Can I just bright side that one a little bit? So the, the punk music scene, Bram. Is still that's alive, the one, dude. yeah, that's the one thing actually, and I have friends who are still in it too. Like and that's the one thing where like people are making an active effort to like still give a shit about each other. Yeah, but so the the thing that I wanted to say though is what you're talking about is uh, I've found, and maybe it's because like I'm an old fat white guy with kids. None of my friends want to like go out to shows, like much less on a weeknight. Like it's just not even on the table. So I, I I don't think that it's untrue, but there's the other side of that where now I'm just like, all right, cool. Well, I'm just going to go by myself and I go to all these things by myself and it's like, it's fine. It's, cool. it's actually a little more natural now for me to go to shows solo versus with a group. And I think that that's the flip side of the sort of changing culture. You know, there's, there's Tinder and all that, but there's also this like, it's more acceptable, like. You know, it's it's much more rare to hear like, oh, I, I could never go to a movie by myself or I, I would never eat a dinner by myself. Yeah, um, I mean, I, and and it, I love doing that stuff because it's fun. It's like if I want to see a movie and if I'm traveling for work or for whatever, it's like I would love to go see this movie. I mean, it, it doesn't I think that there's a stigma that exists in, in being solo. But I think that that stigma is disappearing because I think a lot of people are doing things by themselves just by nature of like the sort of like – um not the despair, but like the, the, just the fact that like technology has the promise of technology was to bring us all together and like all at Twitter and like all of the things that we were just talking about, like Twitter and technology and all these different things, like kind of promise to bring us all together. And the reality of them is that we're just consuming these things totally on our own (laughs) and like thinking that we have a community, but in the reality, like sitting in our house, like staring at a, at a lit screen on like a, you know, See, it's just five. such a like, it's such an old man complaint though, man. Like, oh, are you, totally. I'm, I, I'm not I feel like I, it's not. I, I just feel like there, there are real connections, you know, like, I don't know what the GSOM site traffic is like, it's but great. for those there's, listening, there's it's great, <laughs> it's, but there, you know, the people who are still around, it's like, this now feels like a community, you know what I mean? I mean, it's always felt like a community to me because I'm such a chatty person online. But there's there's a sort of like crucible process that's happening with the fan base right now. And I think that a lot of dorks sitting alone by themselves watching it on their computer and like talking to weirdos, uh, you know, who may be strangers on the computer. It develops a community like my boy Sleepy. The yeah. guy is like he'll watch like a game cast, not even the actual play. He'll just 
be watching the like play by play develop and like chatting with fellow Warriors fans online. So I think maybe the ratings are dropping down and there's all sorts of societal impacts, but I don't think it's like killing the sort of social interaction side of things. I think it's just changing it. And like a lot of big companies and especially media companies, I just don't think that the old model is necessarily uh, going to be able to get traction and gain profit out of people who are just sort of intrinsically resistant to that. Like, you know, people now someone sends me something, oh, check out this video or whatever on YouTube and it opens up to a non-skippable ad. Like, I just close it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just out. The way that I um, am hearing from you guys is kind of this, um, there are so many different ways to look at a, a, a given subject, you know, so with the the ratings thing here, you know, Bram's conclusion is we're going to die alone anyway. And WW's uh, conclusion is, hey, um, actually, it's a great way to meet strangers you would probably never, ever talk to in, in ever. I mean, you know, go and say a mind night that we have every year. And uh, when it comes out, get your tickets, by the way. Uh, March 31st, 2020. March 31st, the Nuggets. Um, I'm always surprised by the people there who are like, dude, I read your work. I, I love what you do. I mean, I never comment, but I'm constantly reading your stuff. I'm like, whoa, thanks. Like, here are the strangers from, from afar appreciating all the hard work we put into this, this site, you know, on a, a daily basis. And, you know, those kind of moments there wouldn't have happened probably if we didn't have the technology. So I think it can kind of be, you know, either utopia in some ways and Black Mirror in other ways, but that's kind of the beauty of it, that there are multiple facets to it. Um, but we're getting a little um, late on the pod here. And, um, you know, I'm not alone tonight, so I have to, you know, make moves. Um, but I, I want to close with this a question to you, to you both. Um, what do you think the moral of the story for this season will be? Because as Pat Riley said, you can't win the championship every year. It's, it's hard, and you're not, you're not going to win 20 in a row. Each year has its own pitfalls, and we're very fortunate to have had the last five years. Where even the last five years, we didn't win every year. You know, three out of five in bat. Um, what do you think the moral uh, for this season is going to be? looking back on it everything's impermanent the suffering and the joys it's all impermanent everything's going to change all the time and you're just or at least i am extracting value out of the experience versus tying it too much to a result wow uh, i built a tear well up in my eye um <laughs> whoa all, all i'm saying is that you know like we were talking about rooting for the crappy teams earlier like I, I'm getting something out of rooting for these guys. I know they're really bad, and I know they're getting spanked. But it's valuable to me as a fan to like put the time in to watch these guys go through this struggle. And I think mm. that for a lot of times, um, recently, the team was so good, they were hard to watch in the opposite direction. You know? It's like... It was, it's already decided already. Like, I don't even care if they're behind. Like, we're going to win this game. And I, I think that that, that sort of um, complacency and reliance on the result of the process versus the actual, like, joy of watching your team, like, fight through a season is something that I think a lot of Warriors fans are going to um, come away from the season remembering this one as. But um, 
you know, what the other thing is, this, this is cleaning out the bandwagon for sure. <laughs> long overdue. <laughs> Bram, your thoughts, sir? Um, I think I, I agree very much with Drew. Um, or Dubs, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. You can leave it in. If anybody's listening an hour in, they can know my real name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my real name is actually Bram. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that there's something that, um, I don't know. It's a strange season. You know, the, the Warriors, when they were bad before, there was this plucky underdog element to them and they had never won anything. And they were in Oakland and was still like selling out all the time. And then, you know, I've, now I've, I've been to the new Chase Arena and it's beautiful and it's great. And it's just very different, you know. And so I think the my concern is like, how does the fandom react to um, sudden... Uh, being bad at basketball. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, but, but with an underlying understanding that Steve Kerr and Bob Myers are two of the mo- people that I respect the most probably in the world, just from an outsider's view and having met them both br- briefly at summer league, but um, people that I, I really trust to get it done in a long-term capacity. And, and, you know, if they both sign on to stay with the team moving forward, I'm, I'm sure that the, there's, it, you know, it's nothing but up from here and that it, this season we'll probably look back at and just think like, man, that was, that was very strange. Um, but I, I think that it, watching the team from afar, you know, from New York, obviously, and not being able to like be in the arena, I'm, I'm mostly just like curious, like what the energy is going to feel like, um, you know, on a random Tuesday night game and, you know, in January or something. So you can check out a Tuesday night game in March when you come to golden state of my night. <laughs> yeah. I got to get my tickets, man. Palette you know, I'm going to get my plane tickets. Super to cheap. Fly me out. Yeah. It's spring break, man. Come on out. Spring break. Yeah, Cause I'm obviously still in college. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, on that show, Bram, I, I've been to probably too many games at Chase Center so far, um, and you know how it is with the, the 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 bonds of fans. Even when the team's down twenty, there's still that "Hey, we're in this together" kind of vibe there. And um, I think you know Dub Nation tends to be pretty smart on the basketball stuff, and they know what's going on. You know what I mean? And um, they know that we have some real killers waiting in the wings, um, and when they come back, everything's going to be much, much, much better. Um, and to uh, W Dubs, Drew's Dubs points about the uh, the losing uh, compared to the winning, I I feel like maybe I was in the minority, you know, because I'm maybe like a cartoon character. Um, but I really enjoyed, um, in the same way that, you know, most folks may enjoy the Irishman knowing that someone's about to get whacked. I really love watching the Warriors just murder teams and even when they were like not trying for three quarters to come on it's like we're going to destroy you i just enjoy that because number one it's so rare like what we witnessed was so rare and i think back to the you know the 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 jordan bulls you know who you know were dominant but i remember a lot of those games coming down to like hey man like if michael doesn't hit this shot 
the Bulls lose. And to see the Warriors, the way they were so dominant for so, for so long, it just um, really made me appreciate um, just basketball history. Because, like, maybe a while totally. that again, you yeah, know? Totally. For, that, for that to happen in our own backyard, I thought it was super special. And I guess I don't want to sound ungrateful and uh, kind of say, uh, it, for me personally, for me to say, oh, I like the team more when they weren't as good. It seems like a slap in the face of those guys for really elevating to the top of the of the heap. And we've seen so many would-be super teams. I mean, think about you know, the Dwight Howard, Kobe Bryant, Steve Nash. Uh, who was that other person? Uh, I can't remember who that person was. <laughs> Dwight Howard, Bob Gasol. Remember those teams? Like, was, they, were, they were trash. And it was like, wow, they couldn't put their egos aside like just to mm. play good basketball. And the Warriors did that. And they were excellent. And... Um, the things they did were just un- unprecedented. I mean, Andre Iguodala coming off the bench and doing what he did for that team. I mean, even though it may have looked easy for me, I always appreciated, you know, the level of genius it takes to be that great night in and night out. I mean, uh, Brian O said something about, you know, scouting for the Warriors. And he was like, I know those guys are taking everyone's best shot every night when they go on the road. That is the champion. That is the Super Bowl for whatever team, you know, when they, when they go to New Orleans, they go to, you know, Orlando, all the fans in that arena are like, this is the night, and we got to beat those guys. And for the Warriors to still win, like, I just don't feel like um, that can be celebrated enough personally. And um, I'm just super grateful uh, for uh, Joe Light years for do- doing what he had to do to you know, write those checks, I guess. But um, also for the players and the coaching staff to be that excellent, that consistently for that long, despite all the trials and tribulations. Um, I mean, hopefully it happens again, but if it doesn't, I will always cheer that for the rest of my life. What? Yeah. I think that's a very eloquent point, and I think it's something that we, we all are in agreement on, no matter like where we stand on anything else. Is that like, I mean, we were just very. I, I know I am very, very, very grateful to have been a part of this this run, and you know that type of thing does not happen, and it's 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 maybe happened three other times before, you know, like with the the Celtics of the Bill Russell era. And then, like, you know, the Lakers and the Celtics of the Magic and Bird and then, like, and then the Jordan Bulls in some in some capacity. And then and then, like, this last rendition of the Warriors. And that's something that, you know, you can never change and is beautiful to look at and is something that was a gift to all of the lifelong Warriors fans and all of the people who have, you know, stuck it out and who continue to stick it out and. And again, I, you know, I think what you're saying too is like, no matter what happens, I mean, we're all, we're all going to, we're all going to watch and we're all going to see what happens. And, and, um, you know, I can't wait to, I can't wait to see what that is. It's just, it's, it's a funny moment, you know, obviously in a, in a funny transitional period. Oh, we suck. We're we're trash right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's something else too, is like how people are going to look back on this year it's really going to matter how we come out of this transition phase. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, for all the talk about light years, like this, this upcoming off season is the first real challenge where it's like, if you make the wrong move, uh, you could, you could end the, end the dynasty run pretty easily. That's scary. Right. I mean, you trade the wrong guy or invest in the wrong person or, let the wrong guy walk. Um, you know, it's it's very wide open moving on from this year. And that's why we got to keep Marquise Chris. Hey. No? No? I no? I, <laughs> I, 
I have, I'm ready to see Willie Colley Stein move on to greener pastures. Wow. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. He's so young. Chris is so young, and he looks like he's improving a little bit. We're going to need a lot of improvement there, but I, I thank you, my GSOM brethren, for uh, being there with me in the trenches while this team goes through this Oh, a difficult experience, but hey, we've been here before, and um, we shall rise again. Um, and I hope that uh, I hope to see you at the GSWM night, March thirty first against the Denver Nuggets at Chase Center in San Francisco. Because uh, I'll be there, and I know WW Drew Dubs will be there. Real? You gotta come through, man. We we need you. Cool. It's cool. Gonna, I keep it's asking about the uh, executive uh, liquor cabinet too, Bram. I don't know. Yeah. We want both of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Right. Let's get this uh, hour-long um, therapy session, and I'm hoping it was therapeutic for you as well. Signing off for Bram and Dubs. It's your boy Daniel. Have a good night.